Good evening, everybody, and welcome to Let's Talk Low Vision, brought to you by the Council of Citizens with Low Vision International. My name is Dr. Bill Takeshta, and this evening I'm very, very happy to introduce to you our two guest speakers who are going to talk about the benefits and the importance of support groups. Uh, we, we have from Northern California, we have Mr. Tom Lalos. Welcome to the show, Tom. Uh, glad to be here, Bill, Dr. Bill. Yes. Thank you very, very much. And from Southern California, we have Vicki Parker. Welcome, Vicki. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure being here. Oh, I'm really so glad that both of you are here. And I'll tell you, this is a subject that is so very, very important. And the reason that I know that this is so important is because we have so many people on the line tonight. There are so many people who are interested in this. And I just want to share with some of our listeners my own personal story real briefly. As many of you know, I am a low-vision optometrist, and I used to specialize in helping people who had low vision by designing glasses and computer systems to help them to do what they needed. But ironically, at the age of 43, I developed my own retinal disease, and I was forced to retire from practice. And when I had to retire from practice, it broke my heart because ever since the age of six years, I wanted to be an eye doctor, and I just did not know what to do. I didn't know what to do with my time. I didn't know what to do to make me happy. But when I was at home, I had to try to act as normal as possible because I didn't want my wife to think that I was sad or depressed or angry. And we had two children, and I didn't want our children to know that there was anything wrong with me. So I was doing a lot of hiding and a lot of faking. But when we would go places, there were times that I would trip over a curb or I would walk into people in a dark restaurant, and it was just some of the most frustrating thing ever. And it got to the point where later I just didn't want to go out anymore. I didn't want to embarrass myself, didn't want to embarrass my family, and I just would tell my kids, oh, I got a headache. But I then met a gentleman who was actually a patient of mine, and he is a teacher. His name is Keith Christian. Some of you may know him. And we had to go to the school's open house. And my daughter said, hey, Dad, this is Mr. Christian's room. You're patient. Let's go say hi. And when we went in there, he grabbed my hand. And we were walking as though we were boyfriend and girlfriend. And he wouldn't let go of me. And he took me around the room. And he showed me all the things that his students who were legally blind were doing. And he said, these are things that you can do, too. And he said, I'm going to come over to your house Saturday morning, and I'm going to start to teach you how to do these things. And I'm going to introduce you to my students with low vision. And you're going to learn from them. You can't just be isolated. And I said to him, no, I'm not going to be home Saturday. Gosh, maybe we'll do it next Saturday. He says, don't give me that, Dr. Bill. I already asked your wife. She said, you're free all day Saturday. But that was 
truly the beginning of something wonderful for me. And it is because of people like Vicki and Tom who do run support groups and they do educate others. They're able to tell the people with low vision how they could do things. And after I began to see how these young kids and people who are much older than me living independently, it made me realize, you know what? If they could do it, I could do it. But this lecture is not about my story. So let's begin with ladies first. Vicki, would you please tell everybody a little bit about your story and about your your practice that you have? Sure. Thank you so much. I My name is Vicki Parker, and I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist. I was one of the babies that survived the incubator in the 1950s. So... I would have I have been legally blind since shortly after birth, and I um, went through school first trying to learn large print, and then Braille, uh, and then uh, I moved on and uh, went to college. I worked as a job developer counselor for many years and uh, got married, had two uh, fully sighted children. Everyone always asks me that. And um, they're now in their 30s. And I went back to school when my youngest went to kindergarten and got my degree as a marriage and family therapist. And then I began my career, per se, and I started working with children and families, which I still work with, all kinds of, of, of families and children, sighted and and uh, non-sighted, and uh, I got my license in 2002 and uh, worked at the Center for the Partially Sighted and uh, worked at Visually Handicapped Adults of the Valley for several years, and then I now am working in my private practice. I have a home office, and I also work in a clinic. I also teach and train people to be therapists. So that's kind of something different, and I like that. And I teach children, I, I teach therapists about play therapy, and I um, have been president of our play therapy organization. So I've done a number of things. And <laughs> <Yeah>. right <laughs> currently, currently, I am running some support groups as well as seeing individual clients, and I newly became a certified professional coach so that I can talk to people outside of California um, who may have concerns about vision loss because my therapy license is only good in California. And people would call me from New York or all over the country, so even Canada. Uh, so this, this has been sort of a new, a new uh, outgrowing for me. And I do run two support groups, a senior support group and a younger support group for younger people. And uh, we have anywhere from six to, to ten to possibly sometimes twelve, but that's, that's sort of large for me. And um, so that's what I do. And I thoroughly enjoy it. Oh, gosh, Vicki, that sounds like a very, very busy schedule you have right now. <laughs> But I'll tell, I want to tell everybody, 
Vicky and I, we did work together at the Center for the Partially Sighted, and Vicky mm-hmm. was so helpful to so many of our patients, adults with low vision, but especially the parents of young children who had children with low vision. Because as a parent, if you have normal vision and you have a child with low vision, you really do not know what to expect. And what I would often, so often from my patients is that they would often anticipate that their child won't be able to do anything in life because of their vision impairment. And when they meet Vicki and others such as Vicki and they see everything it is that she does, they realize that, you know, this vision doesn't have to hinder your lifestyle. But let's go to you now, Tom. Tom Lelos, tell us about yourself. Okay, Dr. Bill. First of all, thank you for asking me to participate in this. Uh, I can't compete with Vicky's credentials. I'm not a professional by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, I started losing my sight about 40 years ago, uh, midway through my career as a forest engineer. I worked in the forest products industry in Northern California then, and um, I... uh, one of my retinas got detached, and it was in my only good eye. And the surgery was not a success, and so uh, I couldn't see in that eye, and so I was legally blind at that point. And uh, I asked my ophthalmologist at the time, uh, okay, now what? And he didn't know, now what? And uh, he was a surgeon, and he was a very good surgeon and referred me to really good surgeons down in San Francisco, but they didn't know what they could do for me after that. A friend of mine happened to work in the area. He was involved in a Lions Club, called me out of the blue one day, heard that I was losing my vision, and he said, have you heard about the Lions Low Vision Center up in Sacramento? And I said, nope. And so got the address. Uh, We went up there, and I started to learn about what else is available when you're starting to lose your vision. And uh, they had all kinds of gadgets up there and programs and things you could learn. And uh, I came back home to Sonora then, which is in central the central Sierras. And me and the receptionist slash PA at the ophthalmologist, we... I asked her, I said, are there anyone else in in your practice here that's having a problem, you know, losing their vision? And she said, there's many. And so I said, let's get a group together. And so we started that low vision support group. Didn't have a clue what we were supposed to do, how to do it, nothing. We just knew we had to get together and talk to each other. And so that was that one, and that was 40 years ago. And now that I live in Wyoming... I lived here for 20 years. I started a low vision group here in Wyoming, and uh, it's still going. And the one from 40 years, it's kind of interesting. The one that's 40 years old, I was in California about, well, in March. Saw an older, well, she was about my age, older. (laughs) (laughs) And she saw that I had a cane, and and, uh, I introduced myself, and she said, you can't see it, but... I use a cane as 
with some of the state organizations and agencies, and she says, I'm in a support group that my mother was involved with 40 years ago. And I said, you've got to be kidding me. That's the one that I started with. You know? So it was, and that was kind of, I kind of had to smile at that, you know. Yeah. So that, it's been a success story, and the one here in Wyoming is as well. And uh, really, we don't have any particular program that we use other than we get together and we talk to and listen to each other. And together, we mutually try to help each other cope with our mutual problem, which is low vision or blindness. And so, to me, that's that's the bottom line and the thread that holds together any support group is helping each other cope. And you're just simply talking and listening. So that's kind of my story, and I can I can go on with more details, but uh, let's continue the program, Bill. So. But, you know, Tom, that is just so amazing that you had that insight to be able to start a support group when you really didn't have that type of a background. You weren't a counselor or a psychologist or an MSCC. You just realize that it's important for people to get together and to talk. Yeah, yeah that's 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 the way it went. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I, there, there was nothing magic about it. I just figured, keepers, there must be there must be other people, you know, grappling with with vision loss. So we started to get together, and through and that group way back then, we basically networked through the ophthalmologist, you know, uh, patients, and then I got on the radio for a little PSA ad and said we were going to start this thing up, and if I remember right, we put a little PSA in the newspaper, and we had like 30 people at the first meeting. My goodness, that is really quite a turnout. Yeah. You know, mm -hmm. I, and I just wonder though, at that first meeting that you had, were you able to find uh, a MFCC counselor, a psychologist, or somebody who had experience in running a support group to assist you? No, nope. we just went around the room, introduced ourselves, told told what our individual vision problems were, and we just kind of floundered through it. We decided that we're going to meet again and, and keep chatting and talking. And, and eventually, one, you know, each of us very possibly could learn from the next person, and that's how we did it. Now, Tom, where did you guys meet? How did you find a place that you guys could all meet together? And how did you schedule the best day and time for this? Okay, the, that first group 40 years ago... The, the ophthalmologist that was in Sonora, he had a large conference room, and we were able to use his conference room. And so, the, and so that worked out real well, and we decided we were going to continue to meet once a month, and we picked the day and we picked the time, and that's how we did it. The one that I have here in Wyoming, we first started it at uh, the, the local senior center, and we got too big for the senior center there was just too much noise uh, for us to have a decent meeting. And so we moved it to another location where we're still at, and it's in the basement of uh, our local um, senior uh, 
uh, low-income senior apartment building. And uh, they've got a big rec room in the basement, and uh, we're able to close the door and have a meeting for about an hour, and, and that's how we do it. We, we, we meet once a month and, and uh, right after lunch, and that, that way uh, it works out pretty good. About half our group here in Wyoming lives in this apartment, and the other half of the group, you know, live, you know, live in their own homes around town like I do. And so we, those that can't get there uh, with, a, with a wife driving, or a spouse, if you will, like myself, uh, the senior center has a bus, and they'll pick people up and take them to, the, to our group meeting, and we have our meetings. Wow, that is great. You know, it all fell into place really well for you, didn't it? It did. It, it did, and, and uh, I can explain how we run the meetings, but let's, let's hear more from Vicki. I'm more interested in the professional aspect of this. Yes. Well, Vicki, I bet you you're quite impressed how Tom was able to put that together, and he didn't have any kind of experience, huh? <laughs> I, I'm very impressed, and obviously it was meant to be because everything came together for him. In an amazing way. It just kind of fell into place. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and talking and listening. Those are just as important to be able to talk and to be able to listen. So that was that's fabulous. The one, the one ground rule we explain to the newcomers is you can't be thin-skinned if you're going to join this group. Because if you have a problem that we sense that you're struggling with, we're going to all pounce on you, and before you leave today, you will have at least gained an appreciation for the fact that you have some people that actually care and have some empathy for you, and we're hoping you can go away with a few good little hints on how you can solve some of these problems. Well, Vicki, how do you generally get people to accept coming to in either individual counseling or support groups, because there are many people, myself included, that I just did not want to see somebody. I didn't want to go to individual counseling, or I didn't want to go see a psychologist, and I definitely didn't want to go into a support group with other people who who mm-hmm. were blind or low vision. I I didn't want to be associated with them. Right, and I think that is definitely a challenge. I have people calling me many times and just wanting to chat and pick my brain, which I will do a bit um, because I know that it's hard for people. And so I'll spend a few minutes talking and, and letting them, you know, so we're kind of building a relationship, and I'll talk about the support group. I'll talk about individual counseling but also really listen to where they are and try to build some sort of rapport so that they will then feel comfortable coming to the group. A lot of people never come to groups. They just, they don't feel comfortable and you, you can't break through that barrier. And some people will never go to therapy. And that's one of the reasons that I got the life coaching certification because it's not therapist. It's not therapy. It's something a little different. You're a coach, and many, many people feel more comfortable going to a coach. Oh, yeah. I could see that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So 
it takes a while to build that rapport. And I know I don't push. I, I put things out there and hopefully give them enough information where they call back and start to build a relationship with me or even maybe one of the groups I belong. It, you know, as long as they can get support, that's the, the important thing for me is that they get support, they find a sense of community. Vicki, how beneficial is it for you to be visually impaired yourself as it relates to talking to these people who have low vision or are blind? Do they seem to be more willing to speak to you because you growing up with low vision, they feel that you understand it? I think you are correct. Many people feel that I've been visually impaired all my life, so they feel that I understand more of where they're coming from. I have a real sense of the community because I've grown up in the community. But I've also, on the other hand, lost a lot of the usable vision I had. So now I'm down to uh, I've lost my color vision. I have light perception. I have shadows extremely close, my lens and plant uh, disappeared itself to the bottom of my eye, so I don't have anything after cataract surgery, so you sort of know where. So I have that understanding, too. So in a way, that was that that is not a good thing that happened, but in a way, for my clients, it's a good thing, because I did have more vision at one time, and I understand also what it was to lose vision. And I've gone through that process um, several times in my life that I've lost a chunk of vision. So with both instances, I think it's very comforting for them to know that somebody else has done it. We're alive. We're living. We're calm. We're we're functional. We have good lives. And I think it, it helps people feel like maybe they could do it, too, just by being in your presence. If I I may jump in right there, Vicki, I don't have a support group for the younger people. All of our folks are senior citizens, and I think think that helps because, say, if a new member comes in, they all seem to be older folks. In fact, I'm the youngest one in the group, 71. But uh, uh, that, that age compatibility seems to help especially when a new person comes in, uh, an older person can talk to an older person a lot easier than, than someone with, you know, with an age differential. And, and that, that kind of eases that tension and allows the conversation to start flowing pretty freely. We've noticed that. So. I think that is true with seniors. I have a group um, in my younger group, we have a 55-year-old, a 53-year-old, and we have a 25-year-old. And because they're all in this very, um, you know, active, productive uh, phase of life, which seniors are too, I'm not saying they aren't, but I think they connect also because they're, you know, working or want to work or having families or want to have families. So, there, there, I think the phase of life does definitely help. 
I definitely agree. I know when I first started losing my vision, I was I I did not know another forester on the West Coast that had low vision, and I certainly didn't know one across the country. There, there might have been, but I was the only one like me in my profession, and so the support group helped me kind of on the personal level, but I had to kind of figure out ways, different ways of doing things in my professional life because there wasn't anyone else to ask. <laughs> mm-hmm. 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 Yeah. And I, yeah, go ahead. No, that's, that's it. So. <laughs> okay. I do think, okay, go ahead, Dr. Bill. Oh, Vicki, when you do have your support groups, and say, for example, this younger group, you do have uh, three people, can you give us an idea of what is it like when people come to this support group? Do they just come up with topics to talk about each each session, or do you actually have a schedule and you will describe different things, such as, computers to help people with low vision or cell phones and low vision aids. How, how do you organize these support groups? I have, I have about six people in my younger support group, and so they have varying interests. So what we do is we will, they will come. We have two-hour groups, and we meet twice a month in our younger support group. And uh, so... We will have time for them to talk and say what's going on in their life and what they're feeling. And if there's an emergency, we'll take care of that. And then I always have a topic or something that I can share with them, Uh, something new, something of interest. Either it might be showing them more about Ira, the new horizon, or it might be watching a video about the two blind brothers who, with their the, the clothing, uh, you know, that sell the, the clothing to help irises. So whatever it is, sometimes we, we will watch a, a short video or we, there's just different things. Sometimes we will go on an outing, they'll want to go out for a meal and we'll, we'll talk about ordering in a restaurant. And so we do different things. And I also have guest speakers come in. So they will know in advance if I'm going to have a guest speaker, and we will have our talking and listening time, and then we will have um, other time for the guest speaker afterwards. And I'll, I can, I'll just echo that. We, we do the same thing, Dr. Bill. We, we don't have a guest speaker every time, but sometimes I'm either able to gather one in and we'll have a guest speaker. But we have all, all of us have commented that some of our best meetings are the meetings that we don't have a guest speaker and we just go around the table and talk to each other and someone might be having a problem and then we'll just, we'll, we'll get into a group discussion and before long the hour is over. We just meet for an hour, but it may end up being an hour and a half. And we'll all come away from there thinking, Boy, this was a good afternoon, and so it just—it just kind of depends. Uh, but I—I I like Vicky, and I send the meeting notice out. I—I 
just kind of pull a topic out of the air if we're not having a guest speaker that we can kind of kind of have a little bit of structure when we start our discussion and start with that and then just kind of see where that leads and and like you hear these attorneys and these uh, detectives just kind of follow follow the evidence and see where it leads that's kind of how we do it when we don't have a guest speaker so you know tom it almost sounds like one of the real benefits of your group is that with them being senior citizens, and most of them probably do not have jobs, this group really becomes a, a, a family, I mean, truly a support system. If somebody is having difficulties, or maybe it is that their spouse is ill, maybe a spouse passed away, or a person's vision has changed, they could really come to this meeting and speak with the other people there and get that type of support they need. That's exactly right, Bill, and that has happened before. Yeah. Yeah. You know, Vicki, with your support groups, do these particular types of groups, do they seem to run a specific duration, such as six months or 12 months or do you find that these people just continue to come forever because it's comforting to them? I don't. I, I think the the younger people don't come forever. Um, they come for a while. Some of them, you know, come for a long time because it is comforting. They gain information about the community. They gain information about resources. They like each other. They're bonded together. Uh, they know about each other's life. They become friends, and they like being together. But life, you know, takes them off in different directions sometimes. I don't put a duration on any of my groups. However, the senior group, they really, they really tend to stay a lot longer because that's their family, their friendships. A lot as people age, many of their family members or peers die, and this becomes a real source of support for them. And when I was at the center doing this support group, I had 90-year-olds, 94-year-olds, several of them in my support group, and they said this is the highlight of their week. And um, I bet you you it is, though. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that was, you know, it was very important to them. I can testify to, to that, Vicki. We, our oldest member is 98. Wow. Oh, and, wow. But we've had blind spouses, you know, and their, their sighted spouse would bring them to the meetings. A blind spouse would pass away. Some of, I think three of them, if I can remember, yeah, three, uh, of the sighted spouses, they still come to our vision, low vision support group, just mm-hmm. just because of the friendships that they've made uh, mm-hmm. when their partner was in attendance. Yeah. So it is. It's more than just a, a vision issue. It's a it's a friendship thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. You know, Vicky, how do you handle that? Do you actually encourage the spouse of a person who has low vision to come to some of these support group meetings 
or would you encourage that they would have individual counseling? Because some of the problems that a person who has low vision actually encounters is the fact that their spouse doesn't understand low vision or they do not understand how that other person sees and they don't understand why it's so difficult when you leave the cupboard doors halfway open. (laughs) Yeah. 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 I will have a spouse come in. I will, but I don't usually have them come in together. Sometimes I do, depending on the couple. Um, if it's contentious, I probably I would not have them come in. But I would let the blind individual know what I am going to be discussing the person in my support group with the spouse, and I would probably individually. I have invited the significant others for special activities or special speakers to come to the group. But as a rule, they are not invited into the group. For me, we have special guidelines as a therapist. Everything that's said in that room is confidential, and we're creating, you know, some safety um, for people to be able to disclose. And even though it's a support group, sometimes, um, because I am a therapist and I can be therapeutic, we will get into heavy duty, which I'm sure Tom does too, topics. So you're right. The husband or wife can sometimes be, or parents can be part of the problem. So for them, I want the blind or visually impaired individual to feel that this is their safe place. So unless it's a special activity, they're not invited in. You know, Vicki, I want to bring up some of these more difficult topics and you know, the one that is tops on my list is suicide. Unfortunately, mm-hmm. as a doctor who specializes in helping people with low vision, I have had patients that have committed suicide. Mm-hmm. And I, I have never encountered a situation where the patient has told me that they were planning to do that. But if there is a situation where a person does say to a family member that, you know, life is life is not worth living like this, man. I've had it. I, I, I've had it. Or they make certain comments like that. It's extremely important that they get referred to a person such as you. But what what suggestions do you have that we could, first of all, help to get that person to see a person such as you? I think that if they're really resistant, they're never going to open up. I mean, that's sad to say. You can try. You can tell them you love them. You're concerned. You want to help them. You want to be there. You can ask them to do it. You can try anything you can to get them to come. If they're resistant, they're not going to open up to the therapist We as a therapist look at, do they have the means? I assume when someone recently lost their vision that they are probably going through a suicidal phase. So I'll ask about suicidal thoughts, and I will assess for, do they have a plan and do they have the means? And if they have the plan and the means, then I would have them sign a contract. 
So as a family member, I might have them sign a contract with me that they won't do anything to themselves unless they talk to you first. Wow. Uh, really, something as simple as that has a effect on their behavior. If you if you have a good relationship with them and a caring relationship with them, then you can you can say that to them. Now they may you know you can try your best to put all the stop gaps you know in line the best that you can, but that doesn't mean that they won't try to kill themselves. Now, Vicky, are there... and I know that's a really depressing topic, and and I'm not giving you a really positive let's fix it answer, but no, that's hopefully... a very that's a very good answer. I never thought of something like that, but you know, a person's word means a lot, and if if I sign that yes, I will not do something like this, you know, without really... talking to you, yeah, that means a lot. But I don't well, as like a therapist, I have my clients do that. They tell me they're, they're suicidal, and they have a plan and a means. I will have them sign a contract, and I will have them check in with me periodically. I will see them more often. I will have them check in with me more often. Now, I'd like to ask uh, another question related to that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Are there actually medications that a, a psychiatrist might prescribe that would actually take away a person's suicidal thoughts. Are there actually medications that, that can do that, or is that just what you might see on television? I think there are medications that can help with depression. And I think sometimes they mask the systems. They may mask the angry feelings. They may, you know, they may mute those. They may dull those. They may be improved enough not to have those thoughts. They may be sort of numbed out, or they may be able to improve. It depends on the medication, the person, what else is going on with them. And sometimes people, when they experience vision loss, it's harder for people, you know, your personality, your temperament, the lifestyle you lived before, your support system, your your history, how you cope with dependency, are all play a major role. Your worldview about blindness that you had before, all this plays a huge role in how well you can adapt. Now, Vicki, um, I know it probably is different in different parts of the country, but... Are most of these particular types of support groups or individual counseling, can they be covered by Medicare or Medicaid or insurances, or are they all uh, a fee for service with cash pay? Some therapists, some therapies can be covered by Medicare. Medicare, and I don't know all the particulars because I'm not allowed to take Medicare per se because I'm an MFT, and under certain, certain circumstances involved with a clinic, possibly maybe, um, but basically social workers and psychologists can take Medicare and see people with their Medicare. But if a person is a marriage family therapist, 
uh, the, we the, cannot we cannot take Medicare. God, that's a shame. I mean, you're you're, you're so that, qualified. Well, it's a political thing because I don't want to go into it, but I'll just tell you, we all have basically similar training. We all have to do do our degrees, whether it's a PhD or a, a, a an MS or MA, and then we have to do all these hours of training, and then we have to sit for two exams. So we have 3,000 hours of training, uh, doing wow. therapy with supervision, and then we have to sit for a written, well, in my day it was written and oral, now it's two written exams. Well, if there's so, any type of legislation that we ever see on this, we, we have to keep this in mind, and we need to vote to get that particular type mm-hmm. of insurance coverage for MFTs, but uh, right. let's, I'd like to do this. We have about 15 minutes left. I know we have a lot of people on the line, and so at this time, if any of you have a question uh, for Vicki or Tom, I'd like for you to unmute your phone, and uh, we'll press star two, or is it star one? Star one, Dr. Bill. Um, so I have a question. Go ahead, please. Okay, so, um, have you guys, have you ever had any in your support group, any people with glaucoma? Um, that's what I have. Yes, quite often. Yeah, Tom, how about you? I've had I've had a couple of people with glaucoma, but since my groups are primarily senior citizens, our biggest eye disease, of course, is uh, uh, macular. Uh, yeah, MDA. Yeah, mm-hmm. but the glaucoma is very very common, and so I think in most support groups, uh, there there are quite a few people with glaucoma. Mm-hmm. <laughs> But what we do, if I can continue that answer, and, and Vicki, being a, a, a trained professional, maybe go farther with this than, than I can or we can in our group, but when we get into specific questions about an individual's, I'll say, medical care or whatever eye disease they have, we don't try to flounder through that because we're just all lay people trying to help each other. What we do do, though, is make sure that they're seeing the, 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 the proper doctor, whether it's an ophthalmologist or a specialized surgeon or just an optometrist, of the people, because we all of us see some of the similar doctors in our little town, but we also see some different ones. And so we try to make sure that they're connected with the right medical people. Uh, that, and we don't we don't try to we don't try to get into that arena at all. And I agree with you. We do not either. It's outside my scope of practice. Yeah. And people in our group don't know. They're not doctors. We have no doctors in our group. So we don't do that. What we do is, like Tom, 
re- we will make sure they're seeing their doctor, the proper doctor, and we also might refer, you know, if they want information, refer to a foundation like RP or glaucoma, different places like that. How, however, sometimes if I hear about research or programs in the community, depending on what eye disease it is, I will bring that information into the group. Just to give also, information. We've also Pardon? invited a couple of local doctors, one an ophthalmologist, one an optometrist, to come in, oh, every year, maybe every couple of years, and express not in specifics with an individual about their disease, but what's new out there in the in the mm-hmm. field of care. And then it's a, it's pretty interesting the kind of questions that those guys can generate because they're doctors. Mm-hmm. But I just want to add one thing for all of you or any of you who have glaucoma or if the pressure, if the doctor says the pressure of your eye is a little bit high, the most important thing is to take the medications, the eye drops that have been prescribed, and make certain that you have learned how to put the drops in properly. One of the biggest problems with glaucoma is that people don't know how to put the drops in their eyes properly, and the drops actually don't penetrate the eye properly. But there's a lot of new eye drops there are new surgeries to lower the pressure, and so many very good treatments. So you should search to find a glaucoma specialist. There are some ophthalmologists that will only see glaucoma, and that's who you should see. All right, the next question for Vicki or Tom. I have a question for Vicki. Uh, Vicki, do you have any... Younger clients that you might see outside of a group that, for the cost of which, might be covered by other entities, agencies, other than insurance. And the reason I'm asking, and to throw this idea out there, is that I'm I, while I am visually impaired, I'm also a teacher of the visually impaired, and I have had some success in getting the State Division of Blind Services to pay for a few of my students to work with a life coach who is a blind, a woman who had gone blind. She's a certified life coach, not a psychologist or that type of therapist. And I would say for most of the younger people, that have worked with this woman, they have met with some, if not some really great success, but that the fund, while the funding wasn't there through medical insurance or through Medicaid, the State Division of Blind Services covered the cost of it. I did work with Department of Rehabilitation for several years and had several clients. They were not young, though. So... I'm not sure. Um, So I do see younger clients, and oftentimes I will do a sliding scale fee, so it's much lower, just because I want to work with the child, and I I know the parents. If I feel the parents are really dedicated and will bring them, then I will oftentimes do that. Another possibility, too, what we have seen for some of our patients 
is that they have started GoFundMe pages, and friends and relatives and classmates, they have actually raised funds so that the kids can receive this type of life coaching. Good question. Yes, this hi. is Les Cameron from New Jersey. I don't have a question. I'd like to make a statement. What makes me feel good, I've been totally blind for 15 years. I was sight impaired from birth. And ever since I went blind, I went through a lot of different stages. But what makes me the happiest, it may sound crazy, is when I have somebody say to me, why don't you act blind so we know you're blind? <laughs> I mean, I says, okay, when I'm walking down the street, I'll bump into a tree or or something. And I, I, I still have friends that go, unless we passed you in the car, we waved, you didn't wave back. I says, did that car come with a horn? Yeah, then use it. Because I can't see you. <laughs> but it's, it's, I was, in the beginning, I was miserable. I hated the world. Then I turned it around, and I hope I say it right. I, I don't make fun of blind people. I make fun of a blind person, which is me. If I make a boo-boo, or I uh, skip a curb, or I miss a step, and somebody says something like, oh, well, what do you expect from a blind guy? You know, oh. you, you, you put things in his way. I, I found laughing at myself for some of the, the things I did wrong. And after 15 years, I learned how to do them wrong better. So um, I enjoy life too much. And I've got a guide dog, and this is my second one. And I got to tell you, I enjoy having that dog better than some human beings. My dog has never <laughs> ran me into a pole, never, <laughs> never let me trip up a curb, anything. So it's what you make out of life. And I do a lot of speeches with the Lions Clubs. And I got to tell you a quick story. I did a speech a couple months back for Alliance Club on blindness. We had the town attorney there. He says, oh, you make it look so easy. I go, yeah, I got experience. I learned how to do it. I says, I got an idea. I carry a set of sleep shades with me. I says, let me put them on you, and you grab the cane, and I'll show you how to. Do you know this gentleman went berserk? He actually started screaming at me. What are you trying to do to me? You're making a fool out of me. You know what happens if I touch your cane? He thought he was going to go blind because he touched me. What? Yep. That's the most ridiculous thing ever. That's wonderful. People are very funny. And I have to tell you about your groups. A group is only good as its leader. If the leader lets it become crabbiness, attitude, and there's no fun in it, and people aren't kind of laughing 
with each other, the group ain't worth nothing. Because I've mm-hmm. been to groups where the uh, the speaker or the the person that's running it has failed to get a little bit of humor into what mm-hmm. God has dealt us. And if you don't have that, your rest of your people don't care either. That's that's so true in our group. Absolutely. We spend more of our time laughing at each other and at ourselves than anything else. And that's what we <laughs> up with this people talking. <laughs> this, is, this is what, Les, i got to tell you, I, I, I still cut firewood with my chainsaw, and I still build things in my shop with saws and stuff. <laughs> and our neighbors will call my wife, and they'll say, what is he doing out there now? <laughs> I used to be a construction I used to be a construction worker and I have done the same thing. I uh, put in toilets, I hang <laughs> curtains, I've even hung a door, uh I put in a vanity. There's not much I can't do because my eyes are now in my fingers. It's my statement, Les, just what you just said, and I tell people this all the time. No, I can't see it, but if I can touch it, I can do it. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. My, my wife says to me, honey, true. where's this? Where's that? I go, right there. <laughs> because you, you learn, as a blind person, you learn to put things back where they belong. <laughs> yeah. Everything has its place. And everything should be in its place. So when we go to look for it, we know where it is. Well, thank you, Les. Thank you very much. Uh, I think that we really need to record one of your speeches that you do for the Lions Club and have you come and present it to us. I think it would be very good for us to hear it. That would be awesome. Thank you. Thank you. This is um, Angela. Angela, go right ahead. Thank you. Um. I uh, used to uh, run um, a support group, uh, very similar to what uh, Tom uh, has. Uh, There were a bunch of seniors, and um, I am uh, now uh, going to uh, two or three support groups, uh, uh, one of which we have a... um, uh, a psychologist of sorts. Uh, he just got a, a grant. And uh, the funny part um, is there is no uh, counseling um, out there for people who, um, you know, have, have, have lost their vision or becoming visually impaired. And, and uh, uh, he's working to uh, change this in uh, New Jersey here. Oh, that's great. That's great. That's Thank fascinating. you. I don't know how Vicki feels about that because she's been, you know, she's been in it for quite a while. But I'm not in New Jersey, and I, I think the more counseling, the better. The more counseling and the more word that we can get out, the more people that get, can, can get served, the better for everybody. All right, we have time for one more question for Tom or Vicki. Is there anybody? Uh, Lori? Lori, go right ahead, Lori. 
Yeah, hi. Uh, I have a question for um, well, for Vicky and and Tom, uh, whoever wants to respond. I'm just you know sitting here listening to all this, and um, you know I've been visually impaired all my life. I've recently turned sixty. I wasn't happy about that, but I did celebrate, so I'm, I'm okay. <laughs> um, um, I'm raising a son by myself. My husband passed away when he was a baby. He's now seventeen. He's been very busy, you know, being a mom. Um, but my question was not not about that. It's more about um, just your opinion about, you know, therapy versus, you know, coaching versus just having a support group because I, I find that I, I I tend to get a little lonely because it's just me and my son at home, and I do get out but not nearly as much as I want to because I move to a place where it's not as convenient for me to do so. Um so I, I've just really struggled with, you know, do blind people need therapy more than they just need support? And, and um, you know, because some people are more adjusted than others. Um, and, I, I, you know, that comes from a multitude of circumstances, you know, family support and, uh, you know, motivation and so on and so forth. Um, so I'm just, you know, curious about your opinion about that. Vicki? I think not everybody needs therapy that's blind. That's my pet peeve. We don't need therapy because we're blind. Some people may need therapy as they transition or at different times in their life or because of their unique history. They may need therapy. But to have a support group or support system, I think, is so important. However you get that professional, non-professional, you know, if you have a horrendous issue or a difficult issue, and go to a therapist. If you need support, go go create some uh, support system. Meet some people, wherever that is. And there are a lot of uh, political or, you know, there are all kinds of groups for visually impaired people if you want to meet visually impaired people. I know some people have phone groups. They have groups on the Internet. They have all kinds of groups. Right, right. Did that answer, did that answer your question? Well, it, it was more just just looking for your opinion versus, you know, it I wasn't really a question. I was just curious about your opinion because I, I, I've met many people over my life. I've worked in worked in the field with um, working as a special teacher, um, mm-hmm. working not so much with, with the blindness population but with other, other populations, mm-hmm. but have mm-hmm. met, you know, a lot of people that are visually impaired over my lifetime. And I just find that some people just, you know, feel like they they have to have a therapist because, and I, I really truly think it's because we are we are not supported by, not always supported by people that see, uh, have normal mm-hmm. vision because they don't understand. So mm-hmm. I I just hate to see people um, feeling like they need to always see a therapist because they're they're visually impaired. It just you know bothers right. me that people feel that way. Well, you know, Lori, no, this may be a great idea that you follow in Tom's footsteps. I I know Mm -hmm. that you stated that in this new community you're in, you're not certain how many services are available, but if you do go and speak to the ophthalmologist or optometrist, and maybe they have a conference room, and Mm -hmm. and they can definitely have patients and start a a support group on a Saturday, talk to the owner of the donut shop to bring in some donuts, and you guys will have a great time. Right, right. Lori, if I may, I I agree with what Vicky was saying. 
it doesn't it doesn't make any difference what form or how you get the support. It's that you get it. And I, as an example, I've got a person that lives here in Wyoming that I talk to on the phone maybe every day, sometimes every other day, maybe three times a week, something like that. I am that person's only support. Mm-hmm. And, and that's just the way she likes it. And uh, But that gets her through the day and gets her through the week and keeps her going because she's blind. I walk through her losing her vision. Now she's blind like I am. And so she's talking to somebody that's been there and done that and has got some skin mm-hmm. in the And so she trusts me, and we sometimes have very short conversations. Sometimes we have long ones. Mm-hmm. But it's usually not about vision, like Vicky was was getting at. It's usually not a vision thing. You know, it, it's usually things a little bit deeper than that. So, at any rate, there you go. Yeah, thank you. Well, Tom and Vicky, I just want to thank both of you and all the people who called in this evening for making this a really wonderful, wonderful discussion. And if any of you are interested in hearing it again, it will be up on the Airs LA website at www.airsla.org and also at the CCLVI website at www.cclvi.org. So until next month, we wish you all a very good evening.